Hey, everybody, and welcome to week 25 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I'm your host, Andrea Pagnozzi, and I'm also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everybody in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. This month, our focus is how we manage, how we are managed, and how we respond to being managed. And sometimes that response is not great. Today's leader has a lot on their plates. And as such, we're not always feeling fulfilled reporting to them. They're not always feeling fulfilled in the job that they probably aspired to do for many years, finally attained. And in the last several years, not just as a result of the pandemic, but we're now in the midst of inflation and a lot of turmoil in terms of whether companies are going to lay off, whether they're going to expand, decisions are being made above their heads as leaders, and they're not feeling rosy all the time. And that's fair. So where do you go when you've gotten this far as a leader and you're feeling kind of stuck? Is it the job or is it the company? A lot of people are starting to think they're greener pastures elsewhere, but in recent studies from the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics, they show that almost 40% of people who left jobs in search of greener pastures in the last two years are already looking again. So it can't always be the company. And we can't always say there aren't greener pastures because there's still 60% of people who left who are pretty darn happy. So what are you seeking currently if you're a leader or you're reporting to a leader that is not necessarily helping you get to where you want to be? What are you seeking that isn't manifesting? As unhappy as employees can be from a poor leader, sometimes they may stem from an unhappy, poorly managed leadership because they have to be led too. So how do we transform today's leaders And the support level, who supports the supporters? We're going to talk about that today. And today's guests can answer much of this and expand on what can be done to empower leaders that have lost that feeling of career fulfillment. And if they've lost that feeling, chances are it's trickling down to their teams as well. Vicki Abelson is a leadership and life coach who developed the defined leader method. And she is helping clients learn about themselves, take inspired action, and step into the truest versions of themselves, which has been the biggest gift of her experience. Vicki, welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Absolutely. We're going to talk a lot about manifesting people's way towards self-efficacy and change, whether they're a leader whether they're not being led or they're being led by seemingly a poor leader that may not themselves be getting support. Tell us a little bit about the defined leader, how you came to that and your professional journey therein. 
Um, well, th- thank you so much for asking that question. So for me, it has been it has been a journey. <laughs> I have about 20 years of experience working in healthcare on the administrative side. Uh, never, never clinical. We did not want to see me with patients. <laughs> I uh, focusing on revenue management, operations, finance, etc. And as I grew in my career, and especially after having children, I really focused or really started to be passionate about this idea of rising all ships. So as I grew in my career, I wanted to take other people with me on my on my leadership journey. And what I found in healthcare, and you find this across so many other industries, that the people that get promoted are the people that are good at their jobs, right? So a person is really, is a great, great nurse, and they get promoted to be the leader of the nurses <laughs> without necessarily the proper support or training or transition from being on Monday, being a part of the team. And on Tuesday, all of a sudden leading that same team. And I also found in my career that as people in the senior levels were leaving, there were gaps in leadership. And so we had to rely on finding leaders from the outside who may or may not know our story or the context of our work when we could have easily have promoted people internally, but we didn't sufficiently invest in our leaders internally so that they could step into those into those leadership roles. And so I started working on that in my own department to the power that I had, <laughs> that I had control over that. And I'm proud to say that when I left my corporate job, I was actually able to promote my, uh, a leader on my team to take over my role. So that was a big, <laughs> a big uh, proud moment for me, but I got a coaching certification and have since have been coaching leaders on finding a career that is impactful, that makes them happy, that when they wake up on Monday morning, they're excited to go to work, not feeling like, oh my gosh, is this all there is? God forbid, right? God God forbid. God forbid. Yes. I love hearing celebrities, actors, actresses, you know, singers, or you hear the rare accounts of educators or somebody like that. And they'll say, I just can't believe I get up in the morning and I do what I do. I just love it so much. It doesn't feel like work. And that is kind of the North star that I try to achieve, but it doesn't always work. Um, So tell me a little bit about, you you said something I want to go back to because it was so, so perfect. Many of my clients are those people that are looking to be promoted from within. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they call me is because somebody's been hired external from the company to come into a leadership role. I want to ask your opinion of this because I have I have an opinion. That, <laughs> you know, we have as we do. <laughs> um, is it your thought that people think that they're hiring externally because they're going to hire a seasoned leader they don't have to train? So I think that that's a part of it, right? So I think that they, that whoever, you know, the powers that be that are making those decisions are hiring somebody because they come with a perspective. They're coming with a new 
way to look at an old issue. And sometimes we want that, right? Sometimes we don't want to promote the person who's been in that role for 20 years because they're going to be inclined to do the thing that we have always done. Whereas a new person might have a brand new perspective and a different way of looking something and might be able to shift and change the organization. And if that's what the organization wants, that might be, I'm not saying it is, that might be the correct course of action. Sometimes they are looking for an external leader because they want to say, we hired somebody with this specific pedigree Mm -hmm. because we were missing that pedigree within our own leadership structure. And we want somebody that comes from X university or from, you know, X large fancy pants company. And so they want to be able to say that. And so that also sometimes happens right or wrong, but that absolutely, I think is part of the decision why leaders want to hire externally rather than promote from within. And that's such a hard discussion to have with internal candidates that were seemingly overlooked. Yeah, they may have gotten a wink, a nod, one tiny 30-minute conversation with a hiring manager out of respect, but they they now don't feel like they're on anybody's radar because they don't have that pedigree. Right. So- How do leaders manifest themselves in situations like that where the pedigree may be limited, but because what I, what I know having hired people externally is they usually come with a bit of a higher price too. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you still have to train them. I've been a trainer for many, many years, and I can tell you there is a point at which you have to deprogram. Yes. People from previous jobs. So how do the people, I'm going to ask you a twofold question. Uh, The first part of the question is how do people manifest leadership aspirations internally when those things have happened? Is it possible to come back from that? What does that conversation sound like? And the second part is when it comes to external candidates, how do you best account for training? of them so that they manifest the type of leadership that that company needs? Yeah. So that's, that's such a great, such a great question. So I'll answer the first part first. (laughs) Um, You know, and, and I, and I don't mean this to sound harsh because it's really not, but it's almost when that has happened, it's almost too late to start selling yourself as a leader you and selling yourself as a person who wants let's just say a director role for, for conversation, conversation's sake. So I would say that if you are a leader in an organization, senior manager, manager, whatever it is, and you know that one day you want to be promoted to your boss's position, your boss's boss's position, whatever it is, then my advice is always to start planting those seeds early and start planting those seeds often. Put, have those conversations, those open and honest and sometimes difficult conversations with your boss. Ask for projects that give you the experience that they're looking for that might put you in the way of the decision makers or might give you that specific experience that you might need in order to function at that level versus the level that you're in now. So start having the, hey, you know, I know that eventually you are going to be retiring. What do you think is the next best candidate for this role? What is the organization looking for? And have those conversations, not even necessarily just for your own sake, but because honestly, I can 
almost guarantee you that the leaders aren't thinking about it either. And so by bringing it up to them early on in the process, when they're not in the throes of, oh my gosh, somebody just retired or somebody just left and we have to hire this position immediately, they can start thinking about it proactively rather than in the throes, in the throes of the moment. I had a leader who you always used to say, sometimes we as leaders are like four-year-olds on a soccer field, like the ball goes and we all go towards the ball. We don't want to be, we don't want to be those four-year-olds making a hiring decision. We really want to be thoughtful and methodical. And we want to be making those succession plans while everybody is still, (laughs) is still there. Very powerful words, especially the ones where you said succession plan. Yeah. Because I think that the clients I've had in the last year and a half have been disenfranchised by a post-pandemic lack of succession. Yeah. Are you seeing that as well? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. People are leaving either because they're exiting the workforce or because they got lured to another company for obscene amounts of dollars or whatever it is. And then there's these leadership gaps that are not necessarily being filled timely or correctly or appropriately. And so the people that stay and don't want to stay (laughs) and then they want to jump ship also. Exactly. The second part of my previous question was about those coming into an organization and the propensity for people to say, hey, these people have a pedigree, these people have a background. So the learning curve isn't quite as steep. But as a trainer, as I mentioned earlier, I can confidently tell you their learning curve is going to be equally steep in certain areas, maybe not of leadership, but of the knowledge of building relationships within an organization to support their people, understand the new company, the new processes, meet the people, all of that. So those things take time to build. What do you think is the biggest challenge with those leaders that coming into an organization, inheriting a team, knowing there's somebody on that team who vied for your role How do you help that person manifest when, as you just said, they're probably going to leave anyway, Yeah. but how do you come into that situation? What's the headspace, especially with all that is going, we'll talk about that in a minute, but all that is going on people's plates nowadays. Yeah. So I I love that question. One, um, one of my favorite things to say to leaders when they would first start working with me, when I worked in an organization, be like, during the first 90 days, my expectation of you is just to learn. I don't expect you to have like completed any projects, no deliverables, no deadlines, no whatever. I just want you to learn. The role of sort of the the leadership, the organization that is bringing in these external leaders is to create an environment where those new hired people, they can learn, they can build relationships, and they set that as the expectation. So creating a 90-day development plan, it doesn't have to be 90 days, whatever whatever it is, that's the right amount for, I feel like 90 days is usually a good amount, um, a 90-day development plan. Creating, setting a culture of meet and greets and virtual coffees of other leaders, 
parallel leaders, above them leaders, below them leaders, having them, giving them an opportunity to sit shoulder to shoulder with the people that are going to be reporting to them so that they can learn the actual nitty gritty of the work. Encouraging them to come into an organization with a beginner's mindset, because what you said is 100% right. You might have all of the experience in the world. You might have the most, the best of the pedigrees that there is, but you are still new in in that organization. And so coming in with the beginner's mindset, coming in with the idea that, hey, I'm new here. And yes, I have things. Absolutely. I have things to contribute, but I also have things to learn. And I'm willing to learn those things right now. I'm willing to listen and talk less so that I can build trust and build relationships, especially with those people that are working for me, especially if some of those people might divide for your job. (laughs) Absolutely. I think building the relationships with the people that are the rock stars, sometimes we have a propensity as leaders to leave them sort of on cruise control because we feel like we've got to help the newbies first and then get them on board. And that's absolutely important. Don't, yes. but you've kind of got to be an octopus when you're a leader of teams because you have different people that have different required needs. We will then also take a look at people who have some challenges and might be on performance plans, things like that. We can't be everything to everyone. And when you and I spoke about what you do with the Defined Leader, you spoke about two concepts that I'd love for you to share with my listeners because I think it's in line exactly with what we're talking here, which is manifestation and self-efficacy. Can you speak to that a little bit and how that pertains to leadership? Yeah, so self-efficacy is one of my favorite, um, just favorite, favorite concepts, ideas, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But self-efficacy at its most basic term is sort of the belief that you can do the thing that you say that you can do. And so it relates so much to confidence. It relates to so much to self-belief and the things that we say to ourselves, sort of those tapes that play in our mind that tell us we can do a certain thing or we cannot do a certain thing. And so if you are a person that either wants to be promoted or wants to be just recognized by your leadership for doing doing a good job, what are the things that you're doing and how are you doing them so that you are actually getting recognized so that you are getting promoted into the roles, into the roles that you want. And so self-efficacy to me is almost like the train that drives manifestation, if you will. So if manifestation is sort of the front of the train, (laughs) self-efficacy then is the engine. Manifestation is this idea that I, I see myself being a vice president of this organization. And this is what I would do in that role. And this is how I would act in that role. And this is how I would dress and who I would speak, who I would, how I would speak and who I would hire and the projects that I would lead. Manifestation is that like really physical belief of what you want. And self-efficacy then is going to be the, the things that you do to help you get to there. I love that concept because it bridges a gap that I think is monumental right now in every walk of an organization is that no one knows truly what it takes to get ahead in today's world because 
managers are so overwrought and overworked with a ton of things that weren't even in their job description, but because of turnover and vacancy and just sheer, hey, we're on a hiring freeze, they are up to their, you know, eyeballs in just work to do. And there's this inability to sort of delegate, not just because they don't have the people, but because they don't think they can. What does that stem from? Oh my gosh, that's, I, I love the question. I love the question about delegation because delegation, or, or I should say the fear of not want, or the fear of delegation, not wanting to delegate comes from so many different things. And it really very much depends on the person. Sometimes it can be because they truly don't have somebody to delegate to, which, which absolutely happens. And that's a real, that's a real thing. Sometimes it is because they're afraid to give up something because if I give something up, what are, what do the powers that be, what will they say about me? They will say, oh, she's not busy enough. She's not working hard enough. What is she doing? They're, they might also be afraid of if, the, if I delegate to Susie, what is Susie going to think about me? Is Susie going to say, is she too good to be doing this work? Does she think that I'm not busy? And so there's all of these things around judgment, judgment of ourselves that we're afraid of, that we're thinking that all of these people are thinking about us, which in reality, they're probably not, <laughs> but we're afraid that everybody is thinking all of these things about us. And, and we're afraid that they're thinking all of these negative things about us when in reality, they're probably not. And so we hold on as tight as we can to those things. The other reason that we sometimes don't delegate is because we like doing the work. Mm. And so the thing that it probably makes sense for us to delegate, maybe there is somebody on the team who's better suited to do it, whatever it is, but we just like it. And when you have so much on your plate that you don't like to do, then you're not going to want to delegate away the thing that you do like to do. You're going to hold on to that for dear life, even if it's causing you to drown just a little bit faster. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel as though it's an easy win for them. And it's also yes. sometimes easier to just do it yourself. Yes, 100%. Get it done. I mean, I'm yep. guilty of it. I know. Oh, yeah. We're all, all of us are guilty. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. At home, at work, whatever. Yep. Yeah. And there is opportunity to teach and, and learn and grow and nurture and coach, which is such an important facet of leadership. What isn't it an important facet of leadership were some of the things that you talked about before, which were manifestation and self-efficacy. I can't imagine that that concept flies easily with some of your clients. Yeah. So how did, how do you um, initiate sort of a, a, concept to move forward because I think those are two very powerful concepts that if I hadn't applied them I wouldn't have been the leader I was but some people might think it's too woo-woo for them yeah and I think that's a really valid point and to be honest I have really only have come around to this idea of manifestation very recently myself because I think for me too it was a little bit maybe too woo (laughs) and and then and then I started thinking about all of these moments in my life where I manifested intentionally or not certain specific 
certain specific things. And I'll give you a great example. When I was, um, the day that I found out I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, it was also the same day that I was interviewing a brand new manager on my team. And I was building a brand new team from scratch. It was the first person that I was hiring. And so I find out that I'm pregnant and I'm hiring this new person. All of a sudden I have this kind of time clock of, I have to have this person hired and onboarded before I go on maternity leave. And I decided right then and there that I was going to go on my full 12 weeks of maternity leave because in our organizational culture, it was actually culturally appropriate to take a short maternity leave to take six to eight weeks and then come back. But I decided right then and there, I was going to take 12 weeks, maybe longer if I could, and that I was going to do everything in my power in order to do that. And so I spent the next nine months, <laughs> whatever it is, getting her ready and kind of, you know, they sort of, they still to this day, it's been many, many years, but to this day, they make fun of me for creating this maternity leave responsibility matrix. I made this whole entire list of all of these things that I did and started handing them off to my man.